We're going to look at Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 10. Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 10. I'm going to ask you today to try and lay aside everything that is on your mind. Ask the Lord to help you to focus on His Word. And I think today will help you. I think today will be a blessing for you. So we'll look for encouragement from God's Word. So let's look at Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 10. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall ye call every man his neighbor under the vine and under the fig tree. Let's read that again. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, ye shall call every man his neighbor under the vine and under the fig tree. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. And it is an amazing supernatural book. And Lord, today I pray as we study this passage that you will give us help from something that was written 500 years before Christ came in His incarnation. So Lord, help us as we study this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, of course, the context of Zechariah is Haggai has challenged the people to rebuild the temple. They've had revival. They've agreed to rebuild the temple. They've committed themselves to that cause. And Zechariah prophesies alongside Haggai, and he challenges them to continue in the building. Why? Why should they continue? Because the day is coming when Jesus Christ is going to come to Jerusalem, and He's going to rule and reign the world. He's going to rule and reign the entire world from His throne in Jerusalem. That's the context of the book of Zechariah, and it's all about that. So now, as we look at verse 10, this is such an interesting use of phrase that we'll find much meaning in as believers. So what I want to tell you is that verse 10 is prophesying peace. Verse 10 is prophesying peace. How many of you think the world could use some peace right now? It doesn't matter where you go in the world. Taiwan and China. China and uh, Tibet with the Buddhist monks. There's, there's conflict there. If you go into Egypt, it's the Muslim Brotherhood fighting against those who want a secular government, also fighting against the Coptic Christians, and then, of course, killing all the Bible believers that they can find. That's what Egypt looks like right now. If you look inside Islam, you have the, the Sunnis, and you have the Shia, you have the Salafists, and you have the Wahhabists. You have all these different groups with inside Islam fighting with each other for the control of every nation where they are and hoping one day to come to a worldwide caliphate that would start in Iraq and travel along as the Mahdi comes to uh, Babylon. There's so many different areas of the world where there's trouble. If you go into Africa, you have uh, Ethiopia and Eritrea. They're fighting against each other. In Sudan, the Muslim government's trying to stamp out any kind of Christian. There's trouble everywhere you go in the globe. Russia is fighting against Chechnya, and they're trying to bring them back under control because of the natural gas reserves and the, the way that they can move their pipelines. And there's all kinds of trouble everywhere you go in the world. You can go to Canada and Quebec or whatever it is wants to secede from the Union. There is trouble everywhere you go. There is conflict. The world needs peace. How's the United Nations doing? It's a joke. There's no way that they can bring peace. There's only one person who can bring peace, and that is the Prince of Peace. How exciting is that? Everywhere in the world you go, there's conflict. Argentina fighting with England over the Falklands. They're still battling over that area. There's trouble 
everywhere you go, Northern Ireland and, and the, 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 the continent of Ireland, you have the trouble there. They call it the troubles, and they're quieter now, but those tensions still burn underneath. There's trouble. Everywhere you go, there's trouble. Civil war, upheaval, outright violent conflict, and terrorism. I want you to think one thing about terrorism. When's the last time you heard about the Baptist Jihad movement? That's called the youth group. <laughs> there's no such thing because in, in biblical Christianity, there's no such thing as violent jihad. That's exclusive to Islam unless you go back to the Roman Catholic Crusades. You see, we have to understand, we must understand that there will always be conflict until the Prince of Peace comes and brings peace. So when's that going to happen? Look at our verse. The Bible says, in that day. So when is the peace going to happen? In that day. What is that day? Well, we all know that that's the day that all the holy prophets prophesied of, according to the book of Acts. All the holy prophesied, pro prophets prophesied about that day. What is that day? It's the day that Jesus Christ comes to rule and reign in Jerusalem. That day. That day, the, the millennial rest has come and God sits on his throne in Jerusalem. Then look at what it says. And that day saith the Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts. I need to remind you, we looked at the Lord of hosts three years ago when we were in chapter one, but we need to remember what the Lord of hosts is dealing with. That, that phrase or that title for Christ, the Lord of hosts, is used 53 times in the book of Zechariah. The Lord of hosts. A host is an army or group of people organized for battle. Jesus Christ is the Lord of hosts. Do you know who can bring peace? The one. The Bible says the battle is the Lord's. Isn't that wonderful? So the one who is the ultimate conqueror, how many of you remember that army, uh, that army um, commercial or advertising campaign, an army of one? Remember that? Well, God is the only one who is the army of one. He's the true army of one, and he is capable of bringing peace. Um, then look at what it says. So that's the Lord of hosts. That's the one who's saying this. Then look what it says, every man his neighbor, every man his neighbor. How many of you remember the music from the 60s? When you come to San Francisco, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to wear a flower in your hair. Difficult for some of you to accomplish that, I understand. Super glue, amen? <laughs> now, <laughs> that wasn't right at all. <laughs> now listen. All those songs about the peace movement, for every season, turn, 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 or whatever it is. What are they trying to do? They're trying to take Ecclesiastes and bring peace to the world. But again, they wanted peace without the Prince of Peace. All of this movement for peace. If you look on the wall of the United Nations building, it has Isaiah chapter 2, I think it's verse 4 or 5, where it talks about beating your spears into plowshares, your swords into plowshares, or your spears into pruning hooks. And that's what the Bible says is going to happen. But who's going to do that? The United Nations? How many of you think Jesus Christ is welcome at the United Nations? No. 
No, they're not going to do that. So this idea of the brotherhood of man. What is this? This idea of the brotherhood of man. The concept religiously of the brotherhood of man goes back to the social gospel movement. We talked about that with Walter Rauschenbusch and the social crisis. And what we have to do, what Christianity is supposed to do according to the social gospel is we are supposed to try and atone or make up for the ills of social society, the ills of oppressive government, the ills of racism, the ills of poverty. And that's what Jesus Christ died on the cross for. Well, that's a bunch of garbage. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. That's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He died for our sins. That's what the Bible says. And so that idea of the brotherhood of man comes from that social gospel idea. I'm just telling you, if you walked into a certain area in Egypt right now, or if you walked into a certain area in Iran or Morocco or any of these areas, you go into those areas and you say, hey, you're my brother. They'll say, die, brother. They will kill you. How's the brotherhood of man going to happen? How, is it going to, how are we going to get to the place where every man is our neighbor and we can sit together in peace? How's that going to happen? The Prince of Peace has to come. The Lord of hosts, the one who is able to make war, will finally bring peace. And that is the Prince of Peace. Look with me. I'll just read it to you. You know the verse. The Bible says this. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. You see, there will be peace when the Prince of Peace is sitting on the throne. This verse... Zechariah 3 and verse 10 is the ultimate fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Look, there is no peace until the Prince of Peace is sitting on his throne. You all get that? It's very clear. Now, look at the next portion of our verse. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall ye call every man his neighbor. Now, look at what it says. Under the vine and under the fig tree. Under the vine and under the fig tree. Now, how many of you are not really that excited about figs? Me either. I'm, I'm just not interested in figs. Laura had this little tin, little plastic thing. Not really tin, plastic, right? And, you know, we're getting ready to take stuff on vacation. And I, she, I said, what's in that? And she said, open it up. You can have some. I opened it up and it's prunes. <laughs> I'm just telling you, I'm out. That is disgusting. Now, I suppose if you're hungry enough, you'll eat anything. Amen. Worms, grubs, prunes. But here the Bible says you're going to sit under the vine and under the fig tree. What's that talking about? That is promising peace. You say, Pastor, how do you... You always come up with this stuff. There's no way that that's what that's saying. Well, let's just check it out. Go to 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 4. Man, we need peace in this world. 1 Kings chapter 4. Look at verse 25. And Judah and Israel dwelt safely, every man under his vine and under his fig tree, 
from Dan even to Beersheba, all the days of Solomon. When Solomon was king, there was peace. And what happened? Every man sat under his vine and under his fig tree. That's peace. That's peace. Do you know what Solomon's name means? It's from Shalom. It means peace. What is Jerusalem? Salem. Shalom. That's peace. Jerusalem is the city of peace. The Bible tells us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. When the Bible tells us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, you know what that's praying for? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, there will be no peace in Jerusalem. Jerusalem has been destroyed 35 times. Do you know when there's going to be peace in Jerusalem? When the Prince of Peace is reigning in Jerusalem. Let's pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, because He is going to bring peace all through the Holy Land, and He's the only one who can do it. Look with me at Micah. Micah. Chapter 4. I'll give you a minute to turn there. Micah chapter 4. And it's so interesting, the expressive language that the Bible gives us, telling us about this peace that Jesus Christ is going to bring. All right, Micah chapter 4, look at verse 1. Let's see if we can figure out a time frame for this to happen. But in the last days, now you've got to be a deep Bible scholar to understand what that's talking about. Tristan could even get this. It's the last days. It's the last days. But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains and it shall be exalted above the hills and people shall flow into it. Now this is so cool. I want you to think about this. Uh, I've been to Mount Zion. It's awesome. We all need to go. We need to take a church trip to the Holy Land. It's awesome. I've been there. And it's not really that high of a mountain, but it will be. When Jesus Christ establishes His throne, that mountain is going to rise up higher than the Himalayas. And people are going to flow into it. The highest spot is going to be the spot where Jesus Christ's throne is. Look at verse 2. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob, and He will teach us His ways. Wonderful Counselor. See that? And He will teach us His ways, and we will walk in His paths. For the law shall go forth of Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And He shall judge among many people, and and rebuke strong nations afar off. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. Now, notice the phrasing, learn war. You understand that warfare is an art. Sung Su, right? The art of war. But art is a war. There is, there is skill, there's strategy, there's training. They're, they're not going to need to learn any of that anymore. They're not going to need to learn war anymore. Because think about what happens at the end of the millennium when Jesus Christ returns and fights against the people. There's no war. There's no battle. He destroys them with the word of His mouth. They're done. There's no reason to learn war anymore. Look at verse 4. But they shall sit every man under his vine 
and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken it. <laughs> Just as I, that's a goosebump moment from the Bible. The Lord of hosts, the one who is the most powerful leader in battle, says, You will dwell safely because I have said so. See, we need to understand there's no peace until the Prince of Peace is on the throne. That's where the peace comes from. I think it's interesting that this passage of Scripture ties in many of the phrases and concepts that we learn to interpret the Bible. The last days. Um, it shall come to pass. Uh, the, they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree and the mouth of the Lord of hosts. All of that is tied together. And when that happens, then are the swords beaten into plowshares and the spears into pruning hooks. Praise God. What a wonderful thing that's going to be. You see, peace comes when the prince of peace is on the throne. Go to Romans chapter 14. How many of you believe Jesus Christ is coming back and is going to establish peace? Do we have to wait? Do we have to wait for Jesus Christ to return in order to have peace? Look at Romans 14, 17. The Bible says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. How do we get peace? Well, when the king is on the throne. Keep your place here in Romans. Go to Hebrews chapter 1. Look at verse 3. Speaking of Jesus Christ, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins... Where did He purge our sins? On the cross. When He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. You see, Jesus Christ is on a throne right now. He's on His Father's throne. And do you know what that gives us? That gives you and me the opportunity to have peace. We can have peace. The Bible says the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. You can't have peace until you have righteousness. You can't have righteousness without the righteousness of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ gives you His righteousness, then you can have peace. How does that happen? When the Lord is on the throne of your life. If you want to have peace, follow the King. Follow the king. Now, remember the distinction between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is the physical, literal kingdom that we're studying about in Zechariah, where Jesus Christ is going to come and sit on the throne. Is that right? But look at where Jesus said the kingdom of God is. Look at Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. Luke 17, look at verse 20. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, see, they asked for the wrong thing. He answered them, 
and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. You can't see the kingdom of God. You can't see it. Neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Is that awesome? The kingdom of heaven is the physical, literal kingdom that Jesus Christ is going to establish on the earth. The kingdom of God is the kingdom that Jesus Christ creates when you are a new creature. And he comes to dwell in you. That is awesome. When you're born again, the Spirit of Christ comes to dwell in you. The Bible says this, If any man hath not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. How many of you could use some peace? That peace comes when the Prince of Peace comes to dwell in you. You can have peace. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? How many of you could stand some peace in your life? Anybody here born again? You know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Then you have access to the peace of God. See, we need to understand, why do we need peace with God? Because we're at war with Him before we're saved. The Bible says God is at enmity, that's war, battle, with the unbelievers. How do you get peace when the righteousness comes? How do you get that righteousness? It only comes by faith. By faith in Christ's finished work, finished work on the cross. What a wonderful thing. That's the peace that we all have access to. So if you're born again and you know that you have access to that peace, why do we have so much turmoil? Because the king's not on the throne. Look at Philippians. I imagine a bunch of you knew we were going to go here. Philippians chapter 4. What's interesting about this, the context for God's peace is two ladies fighting with each other in the church. Isn't that funny? We can look back at the early church and we think, man, I wish I could go back to those peaceful early times. They had ornery women back then too. You say, Pastor, only you can take a beautiful thing and turn it into that. Look at Philippians chapter 4 and verse 1. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Eodius and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Help them to be of the same mind. Quit arguing. Verse 5, Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, full of care. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. What's going on? What's going on here? When there's trouble, it's simply because we don't have the mind of Christ. Why don't we have the mind of Christ? Because we're walking in the flesh. We are not walking in the Spirit. God wants us to have peace. 
not turmoil. He has come. Jesus Christ came and He has offered us the kingdom of God. It's in us. It's for Him to come and dwell in us and give us peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. One day He's going to come and He's going to bring worldwide peace. Until then, you can have personal peace. Aren't you glad you don't have to wait until Jesus Christ returns to have peace? But do you know what the problem is? There's only peace when the King is on the throne. Who's on the throne of your life right now? Who is the Lord of your life right now? Are you the Lord? Or is the Lord the Lord? If you want to have peace, that's the way to have it. Thank you, Lord, so much for your word.